But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, the gospel reading is, as you can see, from John chapter 14, starting at the first verse. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as I speak, may we hear your voice and know your presence with us. Amen. Have you ever felt lost? Have you ever had that feeling where you've got yourself into a position with the help of others, but suddenly you have to figure things out on your own? The film Back to the Future is about a teenager called Marty, growing up in 1985, whose friend, Doc Brown, is a somewhat eccentric scientist and inventor. The Doc invents a time machine, and Marty accidentally gets sent back in time to the year 1955 on his own. The time machine stops working, 
And not knowing how to fix it, Marty concludes that his only hope of getting back to 1985 is to find the younger version of the doc living in 1955 in the hope that he can fix the time machine. So hopefully now we've got a clip from the film showing the younger doc trying to figure out how to fix the time machine he hasn't yet invented. Better like this is it. you wrote here, Doc. I mean, that says it all. Doc, it's my only hope. Marty, I'm sorry, but the only power source capable of generating 1.21 gigawatts of electricity is a bolt of lightning. What did you say? A bolt of lightning. Unfortunately, you never know when or where it's ever going to strike. We do now. is it. This is the answer. It says here that a bolt of lightning is going to strike the clock tower precisely 10.04 p.m. next Saturday night. If we could somehow harness this lightning, channel it into the flux capacitor, it just might work. Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. It seemed impossible for Marty to find a way back to the future. But in fact, the answer he needed was staring him in the face all along. He had been given everything he needed. There was a way. He just needed to follow it. Probably you've never found yourself in quite that situation. But I'm sure we've all had moments in our lives where we've had that sudden fear of feeling lost and alone, of not knowing how to find our way. Perhaps it's been when you've visited an unfamiliar place for the first time. Maybe you've checked the route on the map beforehand, or asked someone for directions. But as you walk or drive along that unfamiliar road, looking for signs that you're going in the right direction, you've maybe started to feel anxious or uncertain. 
Am I going the right way? What if I've taken a wrong turn? The further you travel, the more the unease grows. Until finally, you catch sight of your destination and you breathe a sigh of relief. I remember my first day at university. Mum and Dad drove me up to Sheffield and helped me get settled into my halls of residence. And then the time came for them to leave me to it. And as I sat in my room on my own for the first time, I had that moment of realising that I'd relied on others to get me here. But now I was on my own in a strange city. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know the way home. And I'd never lived away from home before. Of course, I had everything I needed, really. I was 18 years old and perfectly capable of looking after myself. Mum and Dad had taught me everything I needed to know and prepared me for this moment. And their help and advice was only ever a phone call away. But even when you're ready for it, that first big step of independence can be daunting. Imagine, then, how the disciples must have felt. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. And follow him they had. They had no idea where the journey would take them. But they had faith in Jesus. They had heard him teach. They had seen him perform signs and wonders. And they had even started to grasp who he really was. The long-awaited Messiah. God with them. Like passengers in a car, they'd been enjoying the ride. They'd not really been worrying about the route they were travelling because they had complete faith in the driver to get them where they needed to be. Then all of a sudden, Jesus comes to them and says, Right, I'll leave you to it then. I'm going to our destination. I'll see you there. You can almost hear the panic in Thomas's voice as he tries to comprehend what Jesus is telling them. How can they possibly continue without Jesus? How will they know what to do without their leader? How will they find the right path without their guide? They are halfway through their journey in unfamiliar territory, and suddenly Jesus is abandoning them. Thomas is suddenly feeling lost and alone. But he has missed what Jesus is really saying to him. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. There is room in God's house for Thomas and all the disciples, and they will dwell with God. Jesus is certain about that. And contrary to what Thomas says, they do know the way. Jesus says, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. They have heard all that Jesus has said, and seen all that Jesus has done. Jesus has taught them everything they need to know, and given them the path to follow. It may be daunting trying to find the way on their own, but as long as they fix their eyes on Jesus, on the path that Jesus has shown them, they will not get lost. Perhaps Thomas and the others still think they cannot do the things Jesus has been doing. But Jesus promises that whoever believes in him will do the works he has been doing, and even greater things. Because Jesus did not perform miracles in his own power, but through faith in God, the Father who sent him. And so Jesus was demonstrating to his disciples what they could achieve through faith. And anyway, Jesus is not really leaving them alone at all. He may no longer be with them in the way that they have known. But in the next part of the chapter, he will promise to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with them. 
And at the end of the passage we read, he promises that they can ask for anything in his name and he will do it. Just as when I went to university, my parents were only a phone call away, so Jesus is only a prayer away. The disciples can still trust Jesus to be there for them when needed. We can see how believing that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life can transform people's lives in the other passage we read this morning. Stephen was no one special. He's first introduced to us in Acts as one of the seven chosen to distribute food among the followers of Jesus because the twelve didn't want to waste their time on such trivial matters. But Stephen was such a faithful follower of Jesus that he helped bring many others to faith. Unfortunately, his shining example of faithfulness brought him to the jealous attention of the religious leaders, who felt threatened by the following that this simple, poor, uneducated band of disciples was gathering. Stephen found himself on trial, in front of the religious leaders, on trumped-up charges of blasphemy. In such circumstances, with no friends or family there to support him, you might expect Stephen to be feeling frightened and alone. But his eyes are so fixed on Jesus that all he sees is God's kingdom drawing nearer. Even as he is put to a most painful death, his heart is at peace. And he even has the grace to pray for forgiveness for those who framed and tortured and now were killing him. Hopefully none of us will ever have to face an ordeal like that. But we will all face dark and difficult times. We will all feel frightened lost and alone sometimes. But God's message to us is the same as Jesus' message to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is the way. However lost we may feel, the Father's house has many rooms, and there is one for each of us. If we know God, we know the way. And we do know God. We have seen God at work in the Bible stories we've heard, and in our own lives. Sometimes we can doubt that we are on the right path. Like when you looked at a map before you left or asked for directions, but as you travel along that long, unfamiliar route, you begin to doubt. But if you keep your eyes fixed on God, you are never lost. Jesus is the truth. Jesus adds this statement, that he, to, adds this to the statement that he is the way, because God knows that we are prone to doubts. Thomas, whom Jesus was addressing, will forever be remembered as doubting Thomas, because he could not believe in the resurrection without seeing it with his own eyes. But are we really so different? Modern politics and media also remind us of the difficulty of knowing the truth. In a world of fake news and alternative facts, it can be difficult for us to know what the truth really looks like. God doesn't want us to be distracted by the many false truths the world tries to offer us. There are those who would try to tempt us onto a different path. But Jesus is the way and the truth. And Jesus is the life. We know that Jesus gave his life that we might live, free from sin and the fear of death. But also, true life is life in union with God. If we fix our eyes on God, however lost and isolated we may feel, we are not alone, because God is with us. I thought I'd finish with a very short poem I wrote many years ago, which sort of sums up this idea. Some of you may have read this before. 
I say, I am lost. He says, you are here. He says, I am here. He is. I am. Amen.